Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know, I never do mention the fact that during the little video intro that BuddyBot gets like his own frame where it's just BuddyBot's face. <laughs> it's like he made it and he decided to put himself in the video. That was what I was thinking when I did it. Welcome, everybody, to the Fall Lorecast. This is the Patreon episode for November 2020, and we are back with some of my favorite people, our tier four or higher patrons who help support the show and Lainey, my co-host. Lainey, how's it going? She's waving. She's waving hi. You can't hear it if you're listening to audio myself. version. Hello. There she is. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? I'm doing good. Good. It's good. going good. Yeah, this is exciting. I had a really long stream today. Yeah? Yeah? You're playing Fallout 76, I saw. Eight hours. Eight hours. Wow. Yeah, for wow. eight hours. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need, to, I need to jump back into that. I've been holding off on the Brotherhood stuff because I want to stream it, and I want to get that done uh, maybe tomorrow. Because I want to go on an adventure and do some more Captain Robot stuff with that. But enough of my stuff. I'm the host, Tom, or Robots. This is Lainey, the co-host. And we are here with our Tier 4 patrons. Welcome, everybody. How's it going? Okay, now you're all going to respond at the same time. Everyone unmute at the same time and say, tell me how's it, how it's going. Ready? Three, two, one, go. All right. That was awesome. That was awesome. I'm going to go down the names. We've got Sea Captain here with us. Welcome, Sea Captain, for the first time. I believe this is your first time, right? Man, I've known you for so long now. I feel like yep. you've always been yep. here. But This is my first one. Yeah, yeah. This is your first time actually on the <laughs> yeah, show. This is my first one. Well, welcome aboard, buddy. And Deadshot's back. Deadshot, how's it going? Hey, ho. And Fire Rider. Hello. Hello and uh, Grim Saber, you're you're still Grim now. How's it going, Saber? Doing good. Doing good. And Nunimer's back. Nunimer ate all the. What's the full? I can't see the full part of your name frog here. Frog eggs. All the frog. I eggs. ate all the frog eggs. Ah, that's a Mandalorian thing. Unlike isn't it? Baby Yoda, he only ate some of them. I yeah. ate them all. Yeah, the frog ate lady. Controversial. That poor controversial. Very controversial. controversial. You're gonna lose some. You're gonna lose some listeners. <sighs> okay, let's that. avoid that. We need to avoid that and politics and all sorts of other things because people get mad at me for that stuff. So we'll just we'll just avoid that for now. And Victor, Victor, welcome back. Hello. Hello. All right, guys. So this week we are discussing uh, the kind of in and around the idea of 
the characters that we love to hate. It's not just the characters we hate. It's the characters we love to hate in the Fallout games. And Nunamur, you were going to kick us off with somebody from Fallout 3, right? That is correct. And it's a little hard for me to say that I love to hate him, but I do love to talk about how much I hate him. So I guess that qualifies. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and un unlike my opening statement about the frog eggs, I'm not a fan of genocide because I'm mm. also not a fan of the Enclave. And I'm also not a fan of Colonel Augustus Autumn, who is my all-time most hated Fallout character. Okay. And yeah, as as per usual with me, it ties into um, an emotional story. It ties, ties into something personal. And I've told my Fallout 3 story on the podcast before about you know my father passing away right. three weeks after the game came out and how it was a big support structure and all that. Now... Um, this, uh, talk about him is going to heavily spoil Fallout 3. Game's been out for a while, but I figured I'd give people a heads up. <laughs> yeah, that it's what, it is, 13 it is going to... years now? 13 old yeah. year old game? Uh, yeah, yeah. If, yeah. You, if you need to but, skip the spoilers, yeah, so... jump ahead a good, what, 10 minutes or so, and, um, you know, come back. <laughs> come back after that. So, um, as I was playing Fallout 3, the main quest, obviously, is trying to find your father, trying to follow in the steps of James. And so, um, I quickly had projected a lot of my feelings of onto James of my, my father. He became this weird, unattainable thing of my father who left me in real life. Um, not of his doing, obviously, not of sure. his choice, um, but still was gone, was gone from my life, just like the character in the game had their father suddenly gone from their life and, and looking for them, in my case, trying to deal with my grief. And um, in the course of the story, uh, you do finally find your father. And this uh, happened for me because I do tend to kind of put off the main quest for a while in a lot of a lot of games, especially Fallout games, and focus on the side quests and focus on exploring and all that fun stuff. Uh, this did come for me later, so this was after my father had died, and uh, so I finally get back to James, and this was very emotional for me. I was I had built up a lot to this moment, and then he dies in front of you right. and he dies as a result of the actions of Colonel Augustus Autumn. Uh, for context, what's going on, the general, I'm going to generalize a lot here to not spend too much time, but what's going on is they're fighting over the, the um, water purification um, that is project purity. And the enclave is trying to take it over for themselves while James is trying to use help from the brotherhood to distribute it and protect it and have it be, you know, free for all. Um, and so what ends up happening is your father, James, he sacrifices himself, uh, after Colonel Augustus awesome autumn kills Colonel Augustus. Awesome. Uh, Colonel, Colonel Augustus. No, Colonel, <laughs> Colonel Augustus, not awesome. Not awesome. Uh, but no, <laughs> um, but no, he, so he kills, uh, one of the scientists and the, and James chooses to flood the room with radiation. Mm -hmm. um, rather than turn over Project Purity to the Enclave. And in doing so, James kills himself, and Colonel Augustus Autumn injects himself with some deus ex machina and survives somehow and gets away. 
Um, so I, again, I had built up so much to reunite with James and then lose him. So this was like, this is a very intense personal moment, very intense gaming moment. And, uh, coming from old school fallout, I was conditioned maybe more than some of the younger fans that maybe were introduced with fallout three or fallout four. I was conditioned to hate the enclave. Uh, in, you know, in previous, uh, in, in Fallout 2, they were a mustache, mustache twirling old school <laughs> villain. They were, they were straight up evil, mowing down families in the opening cutscene, you know, yeah. right off the bat. Yeah, so right you're, off the bat. You're, you're given clear indication of where they're at. Um, so I was already ready to hate the Enclave, but then after that, I took a lot of my personal anger and frustration and sadness and pain and hatred and everything and i put i projected a lot of that onto augustus autumn and uh all the way to the point where i uh put off dealing with him um for the purpose that i knew that at ending the game would you couldn't continue playing it you would have to revert to a previous save and uh, so you'd have to make a save outside of like the final room and you were not able to continue to explore the game and do all the side quests after you completed it. Now they fixed that with Broken Steel. So as soon as Broken Steel came out, they continued the story after you deal with Colonel Augustus Autumn. And so I finally dealt with it. So I had put off, so I believe um, the Broken Steel DLC came out in May. So I had been playing the game uh, since launch, waited all the way till may of the next year uh to finally complete the main the main storyline because i i had been building up so much uh anticipation of murdering him that's all i cared <laughs> about like, was just straight like up revenge. you wake up in the morning months, and your first months. thought is you, you yeah, check your phone i'm turning you're like all right notifications murder <laughs> and then you go to bed at night <laughs> put the phone down murder <laughs> pull the sheets up go to sleep yeah but i i had spent so much time turning myself into a god of the waste you know what i mean and i had um and i also had a lot projected onto him too because i got the line from james of saying that how disappointed he was uh um of me because i did blow up megaton um, mm-hmm. uh, for the purpose of saving the ghouls in Tenpenny Tower. Because there is a moral choice there of building a safe community for ghouls and the pay, the trade-off is blowing up Megaton in order to achieve that goal. So that's where I went. But I managed having positive charisma by the time I hit max level. So I literally <laughs> I had... I had good charisma for my first milestone, neutral charisma for my middle, and then I managed working it all the way back to good. So, but I still got the line. I still got the line that he was so disappointed in me. So I'm like, I'm like, that's my last interaction with my dad. He's going to get it. So I built up all this time, you know, building up anticipation. And so I finally get go in there. And again, it was, it was in that room again too. So immediately I'm flooding in with the emotions, thinking about my dad, thinking about, you know, everything I've been through in the past several months. And then he's got two guards that have like Gatling plasmas. They've got, one's got a minigun, I think one has a plasma. And uh, so they open up on you if you choose to attack. Oh yeah, by the way, 
I always do speech checks. I always, if there's a peaceful mm-hmm. solution in most game, in most Fallout games, I with my main character, I usually always go high speech. And there were two speech checks I could have done to peacefully resolve things with with him. For the first time in my entire Fallout playing experience, I said, nope. nope. <laughs> I just went nope. straight to attack. And I took out the two guards first, save him, save, saved him for last, so that I could kill him with a hand-to-hand weapon and oh, just go to, go to town. just look him, him in the eye while I murder him and watch the lights go out. <laughs> Yeah. To this day, if I load in that main, that original Fallout 3 character, he is still wearing Colonel Augustus Autumn's jacket wow. as a trophy. Wow. To this day. Now, to be fair, it's a very cool costume. I love trench coats, and it's a really slick trench coat and everything, so I already liked it anyway. And it's good armor, but I still, you know, to this, to this day, that character still wears that as a badge of honor that he killed the man that you know, indirectly killed, you know, his father. And, but the thing about Autumn, besides my personal feelings about him, is that he's kind of a perfect Fallout villain. He's sort of that, um, that uh, Goldilocks villain where Mm -hmm. he is definitely morally gray, the more you think about him. Um, and he's sort of a dark reflection of the, of the Lone Wanderer because he is, um, it, the, both of their fathers were scientists. And uh, so they have that connection where they, they had fathers that were focused more on helping humans and develop, like, even though his father was an enclave scientist, apparently he was more morally good than, than, uh, Colonel Augustus Autumn turned out to be, and he was very disappointed in his son that he went down that path of being more militaristic and more violent. So it's it's that very similar you know thing of both having that that similar background, but going on these two completely different paths. And uh, he's also not as mustache twirling a villain as the rest of the Enclave, even in that game, because he's actually against the use of FEV. He's against uh, genocide. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to kill all the people. Uh, He has no problem killing anybody, but he doesn't want to kill everybody. Right. right. (laughs) He doesn't want to kill everybody at once. He, he, He doesn't consider everybody to be a mutant. Uh, such as most of the Enclave consider. And he actually could have potentially turned the Enclave into something more positive if he wasn't such a piece of crap himself. Um, Because he had the support of most of the Enclave, supported him over Eden. Mm -hmm. Uh, They listened to him. So when he chose to disobey Eden's orders, the entire Enclave army followed uh, Autumn, not Eden. Uh, so, you know, it seemed like he could have done something good, but again, went in that different direction and sort of, you know, squandered that by, you know, just killing innocent people left and right and showing no regard for human life and using Project Purity as his power play itself sort of shows where he's coming from because something as simple and basic as the right to clean drinking water Mm-hmm. That should be a basic human right. That is something that, to this day, in the real world, people are fighting for, and people even in America don't have access to. So the fact that he used that 
not as a way to say, hey, great, let's support this and distribute this, but saying, we want this to be ours and we want you to thank us and be our citizens and support us. And so that just so despicable, you know, and then yeah. you have someone like James who, you know, was doing something for out of, you know, pure altruism. He was really trying to accomplish something good to benefit all people in the waste. And they're trying to take that and turn that into something, you right. know, greedy and right. power grabbing. You right. Know? right. Man, that's a, that's quite the story. I, I, you know, I would have, obviously he's a despicable person. And so, uh, you know, the enjoyment of actually finishing him off would probably still be there had you not had the, the personal situations that you did with the situation with your father. But I can see how that definitely uh, inflated your response to that in the game. Oh, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really I mean, cool. I, I, I can be... I can be vindictive in a video game ever against a really nasty NPC yeah. when I want to be, but, yeah. but never to that extent, you know, that was, that was very emotional and very personal, you know? Um, but outside of that, you know, as far as like character structure and moral ambiguity and everything, he really is kind of a perfect follow character. He's, he represents a lot of everything that mm -hmm. in my opinion, Bethesda really understood yeah. about the Fallout universe when they took over the franchise. Right. Yeah. Lainey, put that note down. We should, we should cover more of this stuff on a future episode. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, does anybody else have any thoughts on this real quick? I, this has gone a little bit, a little bit long, but that's okay. Uh, anybody else have any thoughts or, you know, because uh, it, you were very, um, you did a really good job explaining the situation and what was going on, how it affected you, and then also how it play tied into the game. Like this could uh, be its own episode. Like we should have the Noonimer episode of the of the of the podcast, and you can come on and and do one for us. And then Lainey, I can just sit back. That would be awesome. Um, <laughs> like, uh, well, I don't know if there's a title for like co-co-host. Is that a thing? Anyway, um, anybody else have any thoughts on this? Who wants to chime in? Anyone? No, no other thoughts on this one. Numer, you did you did such a good job on this. I think you've kind of already cleared it. Like, that, sorry for going a little long there. It's okay. No, it's it's not a problem. <laughs> a, lot of, it's just, a lot of history. Me and Fallout Three. Yeah. Me and Fallout Three. Me and Fallout Three. I am to Fallout Three what Fire is to Fallout Four for sure. Yeah. <laughs> to, to John Hancock. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Fire, Fire, you're next up. We're moving on to uh, the rest of you guys, except for Sea Captain, have Fallout 4 characters that you'll be discussing. Fire, who are you, who are you talking about today? So I have here uh, Conrad Connie Kellogg. Um, so in Fallout 4, Kellogg is kind of that mysterious guy who shows up in the very beginning, kidnaps the baby, kills your spouse, and all we know is that it's the, under the orders of someone we don't know who it's very mysterious uh eventually we find out he's working for the institute and is known as an absolutely ruthless mercy yeah and there's another, so many reasons another super douche this guy. you could just add, add him to the super, super douche, douche list yeah but you know his his douchery is actually very interesting uh, to me <laughs> the way interesting douchery <laughs> is that a word i've made up a word <laughs> like it <laughs> <laughs> Add it to your dictionaries, folks. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, in your first, most most, uh, and until you actually, you know, breach Fort Hagen, 
you're just kind of following the trail of this guy. Um, you know, you've been tracking down traces of him for a while now, and um, you don't really come into contact with him until you're actually working through the fort. And your first real uh, contact with him at that point is him taunting you through the uh, through loudspeakers set in the set in the walls. You know, uh, winding you up, calling you the frozen dinner and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. And and his voice is very calm as he's taunting you, and somehow that makes it even creepier and more infuriating. Um. So, you know, it, it plays out, and here's more spoilers for anybody uh, who, who uh, you know, hasn't played through four. Uh, fast forward a little bit, I guess. Um, so, you don't really have a decision here. You just have to kill him. And up until this point, he's a very much a standard bad guy. Uh, nothing really special. And he actually doesn't become interesting until after he's dead. And at this point, you get to have a look through his memories. Yeah. And you learn an awful lot about Conrad Kellogg. You learn that he was born in the NCR over 100 years before the events of the game. You learn that his mother called him Connie. Uh, you listen in as his abusive father berates him and his mother, and you watch when his mother gives him the 44 revolver that he's eventually going to use to murder your spouse. It's also one of the best weapons in the game. <laughs> I, I usually carry that one uh, almost exclusively once I... Once I've gotten rid of Kellogg. Yeah. Do you, you don't feel you, dirty about that? Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's my <laughs> yeah. prize. No. You're like, it's my prize. I'm putting it to good, good <laughs> use now, buddy. That's exactly it. We're cleansing that weapon. Um, but if you really take your time in those memories, I mean, you can just go waltzing right through them, or you can, um, you can click on all sorts of different things in the background, and you learn all this extra information about him, and you find out... You know that he ran off. You never. He never knows what happens to his mother. He becomes a mercenary and leaves for San Francisco. And this is where we find out that he was married and had a daughter, and he seemed pretty happy. But as mercenaries tend to do, he's made a lot of enemies in his line of work, and they kill his family. Um, and there's a scene where he's running down the hallway and they're taunting him in the same way that he's going to eventually taunt you. And this is sort of the breaking point for Kellogg. And the next time we see him in his memories, he's in a bar and he's taking a contract to kill a family and he's become that same creature that destroyed him. Right. And what's fascinating to me in the way that the game presents Kellogg is that you're given multiple opportunities to express sympathy for him and the direction that his life has taken. And while I do feel empathy for some of the things that he's been through, I cannot feel full sympathy or feel that it excuses his actions in any way. And this is why I think he's such a hateful character. Mm-hmm. You compare him to everyone else in this in the game really <laughs> who's who's everybody's lived a crappy life everyone has had horrible horrible things happen to them in the in in this world in this wasteland but they don't turn out like kellogg and you know i think the one who really kind of compares to invest is mccready who's a former gunner his wife was killed he left a sick child behind but underneath he's still very much a person with a good heart. 
Um, Kate's story is horrible and brutal, and she has more cause than anyone to hate everyone, but she doesn't. Yeah. Um, Preston has been through horrible trauma and was on the verge of suicide, but he's driven by his mission and his desire to do good. He doesn't become this hateful, horrible person. Right. So Kellogg has made the decision to wallow in his hatred for a hundred years. He never redeems himself. He never wishes to redeem himself. He only sows more destruction. And even though he knows firsthand the pain of losing those he loves, he still takes jobs that involve killing children and destroying families. He has absolute apathy for life and really no morals whatsoever other than who can pay me the most. Yeah. Misery loves company. You know? Yeah, and you know, and and it didn't have to be that way. He didn't have to turn out like that. But that's kind of the tragedy of uh, Conrad Kellogg's story. Yeah, yeah. So, do you? I guess the question is, he's he has a sympathetic origin story, but his decisions make him hard to sympathize with. Where do you fall in that? I, I don't sympathize. I yeah. I think I feel badly that he lost um, ones that he loved, but it doesn't excuse his later actions. And I can't feel um, I can't feel sympathy for the choices or empathy for the choices that he's that he made later. Yeah, there's there's yeah. Yeah, no, at some point you have to take responsibility for your own actions, and when exactly. you when when exactly. taking responsibility for those actions is now causing the same pain on others, then mm-hmm. you should know better. You should know better by now. Um, interesting. Yeah. yeah, really, really well uh, put together. Um, and I'm sure some of the rest of you guys have some experience with with Kellogg, meaning being as you have to get through the story, his, through his stuff, through his memory stuff, in order to uh, play through Fallout Four. Would anybody else like to jump in with any thoughts on Kellogg? Yeah, go for it, Saber. Um, I always tell him I'm gonna see him in hell. Sarcastic line every time. <laughs> <laughs> see you in hell, buddy. Yep. 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 Any other thoughts? Um, Victor. And the mute button is, oh, there we go. Yeah. It's being difficult. Um, definitely, it's just overall, um, actually, my more recent memories of Kellogg, especially in the kind of background and context that his actions are put in, to put it as unbiased as possible with what happens in the memory den. Um, I actually follow a lot of speedrunning. And most of the attitude towards the memory den in general is hatred. So nobody really likes Kellogg because they have to go through the memory den. Sure, yeah. Um, but overall, the biggest the biggest thing I can think of is that what Fire is saying is one hundred percent right. It's look at just about anybody, even if they're even if it's part of a faction that you don't particularly like. They may have gone through some difficult stuff, but they're doing what they believe is good. I in no way believe that Kellogg thinks that he is doing good. He right. knows he's doing bad. And that's where the apathy He just doesn't in. care. Yeah, doesn't he matter. just doesn't care. doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're talking about faction, like, I mean, the blatant, quote unquote, enemy faction, the Institute, they still believe they're doing something good for humanity. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Kellogg doesn't think he's doing any good for any anybody but himself, and he really kind of hates himself for that as well. He has. It, it's almost kind of almost to the level of um, the swirling mustachios uh, <laughs> that Unimer was referencing earlier. Yeah. Mean, I'm bad. I know I'm bad, and I don't really care. And he doesn't rejoice in it quite so much, but. It's, it's he knows he's irredeemable. So why should we redeem him? Right. It's it's the idea. Like like I said, misery loves company. It's somebody who has hit rock bottom. Who the only thing they can do at that point is to bring others to that place as well. That's the only action they have left. They're not they're not even trying to climb out of the the pit that they've sunken into. They just want to bring others so that they're not alone in their misery. So they can I, share I the misery with others. Even more. I feel like it's even more apathetic than that. Like, like that would almost imply that he was enjoying ha- spreading that misery in some way. And I don't, I don't think it's even that. I think he just, he has no opinion about it whatsoever other than this is my job. This is what I do. This is what I'm being paid to do. Yeah. There's, there's no other kind of contemplation on that. Do you think that he is a, um, I don't know the literary term, but a, almost like a counter to a synth who is technically not human, but is having human emotions and making better choices actually is not apathetic, actually cares about other people. So I've got a creepy, I have a creepy ghost child behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Can I? But, um, <laughs> you're, you're talking about like possibly someone who is a exact opposite, a perfect foil almost for paladin dance right he, yes the only part is that he doesn't know he's a synth but he he is a synth he's completely non-human and he fights for what he believes is right to the very end um if you follow paladin dance's story and yeah it, no matter what he is doing even though he hates some of the stuff that happens at the end of his own story he's still going towards whatever he goes towards because he believes he's doing right Right. Kellogg is human and he's well, making He does have synthelements. When you uh remove the stuff from him, uh, you know, she she comments something along the lines of, Look at you, you were barely even human because he has so much hardware in his head and that's why he's alive for as long as he is. Yeah. Yeah. He's right. he's the, he's the directionality of humans towards non humanity as opposed to mm-hmm. the directionality of somebody like dance like you're saying victor who is non human yeah. toward the direction of humanity he's the he's the cross section like he's the, he's the person who goes the other way um yeah and i, I don't think too i i don't think the synth components necessarily make him apathetic either mm-hmm. i think it's that he chose to give so much up of his humanity to make him a more effective killer, to keep him alive longer right. because he's so apathetic. Right. Yeah. I, I think I that's where I'm like in the minority here. I'm more of, I actually understand him. He goes through the waste and like losing stuff like that, like losing his family, growing up in the area that he did. I'm more understanding of it in terms of he does what he does to survive. Like, he doesn't feel good about it, but also he's done it so much that he doesn't feel bad. So I kind of feel sorry and, like, remorseful for him, and I don't like killing him to the point where I got a mod where you don't kill him, you convince him to come join as a guard in your settlement as a way of kind of making him redeem himself. Interesting. Well, 
you know, De- Deadshot brings up a good point because actually the the forced um, killing of Kellogg was actually a very controversial element of Fallout 4 because it was one of the first times where storyline-wise you were absolutely forced. There was no way around. He had to die. I mean, even like what I was talking about before with, with Autumn, you know, there were two different speech checks to keep him alive at the end. Uh, so... You know, that was that was very controversial. And I understand why. I mean, it makes sense in the narrative and the plot and everything. And also to give players that kind of cathartic release of you watch him take your child and kill your spouse at point blank range. It's that's a pretty horrific thing to experience in first person and not have any control over to, you know, similar again yeah. to James yeah. and with that separation of class, you know, you have no mm-hmm. control over it. And so I think a lot of players, you know, actually had no problem <laughs> killing Kellogg, right. but still the fact that you're railroaded into that path, you know, is, is somewhat unfallouty. Yeah. And you know, like that, that, that connects directly, uh, Nunamur, to the, to the story you tell and in both situations, it's like the, Fallout 4 situation echoes the Fallout 3 situation. This idea that you are you there is nothing you can do to save the person who's just on that other side of, of the glass and who are you are directly related to and might maybe the most important person in your life up to that point. And there's nothing you can do about it. And in both and in both games, you're put in that exact situation. That's amazing. I hadn't I hadn't drawn that parallel. That's really cool. Victor. I actually wanted to draw attention to something because um, there's rightfully a lot of emphasis put on the fact that Kellogg kills your partner and steals your child. But the part that sticks out to me about that scene is not the death. It's him looking at you, patting the glass and says, we'll keep this one just in case. And yeah. then you like you're less than human. Right. And that taunting back to what fire was saying about him taunting you as you're coming in with that kind of perspective you could argue that he doesn't see anyone as human anymore he's been working long enough with the institute and knows what a synth looks like and knows a synth looks just like you know joe bob right next to you good old joe bob he just good old joe bob uh but like <laughs> you know he he looks like they look like your average humans i can totally see him just going full-on violent nihilism Nothing cares. Nobody's yeah. human. Who cares? Yeah, people are just product. They're just they're just goals for me in my job, and this is this is all there is. Exactly. To me, that makes him less irredeemable, but I think it also adds a more interesting layer to his character. If you want to consider, yeah, interesting points. Well, very very cool stuff. Um, again, another topic we could do like an entire episode on. <laughs> so we might have to revisit this in the future. Thank you, Fire. Is there anything you want to wrap this up with? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Uh, just to say, I think there was such a missed opportunity with Kellogg at the very end when you're leaving and he's in Nick for just a moment there. And I really wish that they'd done more with that. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such a creepy moment. And then it's never mentioned again. Yeah. Yeah. On that thing, there is a voice line that was removed from the game. Cause I remember finding it in the dub back trials and people talking about it. Yeah. Kellogg was supposed to have voice lines with Nick. So randomly Nick would say things like, Oh, so I see you've kept me alive. And Oh, so I've seen oh, wow. you're using my brain and stuff like this. Oh my God. And implement that his consciousness is in the synth components, which is a really oh, cool I wish thing. They'd I'm lived. I wish they left that. Yeah. Man, but I could see that opening up a whole lot of other stuff. Like that could have been a whole other narrative direction yeah. that got cut from the uh, game yeah. after just a few <laughs> voice lines were done. Yeah. You never know what stuff has, ends up on the cutting room floor, you know? So very, very cool stuff. All right. Well, let's move on to Saber. Saber, I believe you're next, right? And you've got another Fallout 4 character. Yes. And I have to do a disclaimer for this one, I feel. Um, (laughs) Because I was talking to Firewriter before the the show started. And I do not personally hate this character's personality, Uh his story, and his backstory. It's just that I've encountered so many trash incidents with them and okay <laughs> i interesting and it's preston i'm gonna get it out of the way right now it's preston garvey right right and another settlement needs your help one too many times <laughs> <laughs> is that what it, it all comes down to the, the um the repetition well, of of that that was a major part but then he was like i'm like we're in the middle of a battle and then like he's like wants to tell me his life story. Right. And I'm like, dude, we're fighting three death claws right now. Can you <laughs> stop doing this? <laughs> and, and he was the only companion that did that with me. And I'm like, no, no, we're not doing this. Yeah. He, he, he ultimately led me down the path in my main Fallout 4 uh, campaign once uh, Nuka World came out. And I'm like, you know what? I'm joining these raiders. You're you're done to me. You're dead. It was you're just too dead. Much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I I had a similar perspective on him too. That in in a way, okay. So I have two thoughts on this. Uh, on one side, the hey, another settlement needs your help is clearly a. Uh, if, let's go back five years. Let's say, actually let's go back longer than that when they were designing the game. This idea that you could have content in the game that was just constantly giving you more content, right? He is the result of a gameplay dynamic where you needed somebody to say, hey, here's another thing, go do it, so that you wouldn't ever run out of things to do, right? But it was just a little too repetitious, and because of that, it tanked his character. He went from being somebody who, at the very, when you first meet him, you go, oh, I bet this guy's really interesting. There's got to be a lot going on here. And then he seems like a really cool character. And then he grows on you. And then once you've gone through everything, he's just kind of relegated to the guy who's constantly telling you there's another settlement that needs your help. And it just, that's just kind of where it ends. There's not really Mm -hmm. a, I don't know, uh, at least that's the way I felt is that there's not really a great 
I don't know, thing that comes of that. There's no real conclusion to it. There's no betterment or growth of his character once you help all of these settlements. Or, um, yeah, do you feel the same way about that? Yes, very much so. And I thought it was funny at first. I'm like, aha, yeah. And then it slowly went from here mm-hmm. to I'm like, aha, uh-huh, what are you going to say? Another settlement needs your help? Yep. Yep. Yeah. For a while there, I kept expecting him on my first playthrough to say something different. I was like, okay, well, maybe if I get through five settlements or ten settlements, maybe some. Nope. He just never changes. And you're just like, okay, this isn't actually going anywhere. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. He just turned into my punching bag. That's how the, the <laughs> what it came down to. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> so this is this is going to be one of those topics where a lot of people will agree with you, and then a lot of people are going to defend him. They're going to be like, "No, no, Preston's Preston's a good guy." You know, that's just yeah. a, that's just no, a no, gameplay no. thing. He's a great guy. He is a great guy. He's a great guy. Yes. Um, it's just what happened with him that I had issues with. <laughs> sure. Totally understand. Totally understand. Well, can we open this up to everyone else and see what their thoughts are? Good with yes. that. All right. And anybody else have thoughts on Preston? Anybody else want to jump in? All right. Fire. I saw you unmute first. Go ahead. Uh, I think one of my questions. What what I always think is kind of interesting is why Preston gets so much hate, but they do the same thing in like the Brotherhood of Steel and in the uh, the railroad where you get a bunch of radiant quests because Tom and the railroad gives you radiant quests mm-hmm. and Halen and Reese and the Brotherhood give you radiant quests. I think the difference so, if I can jump in, I think the difference yeah. is that Preston goes and lives in your camp. But he doesn't have to. I mean, you can move him anywhere you want. Sure. But I bet I most people put him in your camp. Saber? Saber, Saber, let's go back to Saber because this is his topic. What do you think? The reason why I think is because he, you can almost, you meet him out of the bat. It takes a little bit longer to get to those other factions. Right. Than like, oh, it's like almost the second place you go out of uh, the vault. Right. You're like, right. Yeah. You don't get to those other characters really until like the second, uh, the second arc, the second, what is it called? Second act of the game. Mm -hmm. Right. And it depends on which group you pick and how well. You get in with that group. Yeah. Um, uh, dead, dead shot. I know you wanted to jump in here. I think the big thing is, is like with the Brotherhood, and I know the Institute have one too, uh, specifically where they ask you to raid uh, Railroad, I guess. Um, but they're not pushing you. You can walk around your camp and Preston will constantly say to you, oh, have you checked out that settlement yet? Or, oh, have you checked this out? And it's literally the first quest he gives you. Whereas with the other ones, it's more of a suggestion of, oh, if you have time, we could use some help. And I think that's a big thing personally that annoyed me. It was like everything that came out of his mouth as a radiant thing was, have you gone to that settlement yet? Have you gone to that settlement yet? And it gets worse when you bring him to the castle and he actually gets like some form of military he's like oh this settlement really needs your help when you've 30 odd people behind you that he could easily send there yeah yeah again it's a gameplay thing right um fire i I cut you off a little bit on this i know that you probably had some other stuff and i know victor wants to jump in on this as well i just want to make sure you got a chance to to finish up okay you're good victor i think part of it as well is i will admit i'm not as familiar with the um, companions that you can get out of the Brotherhood of Steel, with the exception of Paladin Dance, um, since his situation is one that I actually went out of my way to look into. Um, and I'm not as familiar with Tom out of the Railroad. 
but another aspect of it is is that obviously in fallout we've always had you know several different kinds of npcs and one of the biggest distinctions is companion versus non-companion and then the sub distinction is romanceable companion non-romanceable companion Mm -hmm. and part of it is is that you have to go through this mental mental hoop of if i choose to go down a path where i might want to get actually become more interested in preston garvey as he is himself and get down that personal growth and down towards the affection line you have to listen to that all the time yeah if you go choose the, the different companion you can leave sanctuary hills and just leave him there right right and go hang out with hancock or curie or whoever but if you choose to want to try to get to know him better know him more than just a quest giver you have to put up with the quest giver aspect and so you end up getting a hated game gameplay mechanic and a potentially fantastic character when you look at his backstory and his uh, potentiality as a partner to the sole survivor mm-hmm. and it gets kneecapped yep well you so know I think, I think in a relationship you gotta take the good and the bad too <laughs> Yeah, but you don't date a robot who keeps asking you if you've gone and checked on that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. Nothing. That's true. Yes. Solid point. Um, so, I, for I, yourself. I think that's the frustrating <laughs> aspect of it is I want to get to know him, but I don't want to deal with this BS yeah, to get to know way. him. So it's, it's almost easier to hate him because then you're like, oh, I don't have to worry about his companion story. I can just ignore him and go hang out with, you know, whoever. Right, right. Uh, side note, Fire, did we just find out that your husband is a robot? Is that, did you just admit to that? Is that what that was? You're laughing and shrugging, so I'm, I'm assuming that means yes. We are correct in assuming that. Interesting. Um, I guess that I makes sense. Nothing. You do love Fallout. I mean, he can't be a ghoul, but maybe he is a robot, because you could have that. Uh, Saber? <laughs> that thing behind me, he bought it and wore it and I was... Oh man. I have no words. I really no don't. No words. Yeah, the, the thing behind no her words. being a ghoul mask with a um, uh, revolutionary hat <laughs> where on top of his head. <laughs> you know who that, that is back there. Uh, Saber, is, this has of course been a, a good one to bring up. I'm sure a lot of people have thoughts on this one. Anything to wrap up this Preston Garvey section with? Uh, not really. It's it just comes down to the gameplay and the incidents I had with him. It's nothing on the personal level. It's just I hate, love to hate him because of that. Yeah, and yeah. that's all it ever turned out to be. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Well, here let's let's move into the middle of the show. I'm going to do my thanking of you guys, our patrons, and then we're going to come back with Deadshot. I believe Deadshot's next on the list. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. So, it's not every week that I get to thank our patrons to their faces. Thank you, patrons. At least these are our Tier 4 patrons, or higher. And especially these guys and all of the rest of our patrons, thank you to all of you so very much. You are what helps me and Lainey do this every week and keep putting out this content and talking about Fallout and getting to do all these fun episodes with 
you guys and, and actually getting to make friends with you and, and learn more about each of you. It's it's always a pleasure. And I really, really do appreciate your support. Thank you very, very much. Also, if you are interested, if you're not yet a patron, patreon.com slash followlorecast is where you can do it. You get ad free episodes. You get episodes early. You can get on the show if you're a tier four patron or higher. You get extended episodes when we're going to do our game show stuff or just chat after episodes. You will get the extended length versions of episodes. There's a bunch of stuff you can get on there. Go check it out. It's really not that much to sign up and you can join the group. You can be part of us and, and get onto those discord channels as well. So that's the Patreon. Thank you again to all of our patrons. You guys are absolutely the best. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. All right. Now we're back and oh, holy crap. We just got five gifted subs. Fire, you are ridiculous. Fire just gifted five subs to our community. Thank you so much. That is so nice of you. Congratulations, guys. If you have a new sub, check out the uh, emotes and stuff. There's all sorts of fun stuff in there. All right. Deadshot, you're talking Fallout 4 also, aren't you? Yes. When I'm talking Fallout 4 about a character, I feel was greatly, greatly missed opportunity. I'm talking about Brian Virgil, the one person you find, and most people talk to him and never talk to him again or even do his quest. He <laughs> is a... Super mutants who lives out in the waste, so the bottom left kind of crater of the map. Right, the irradiated zone. He's a former like, institute. Yeah, yeah, he's a former institute scientist who worked on the FEV virus because the FEV in the Fallout Four is not the same strand as the one in Fallout Three. It is remade by the institute, and he works in the bioscience division, and he worked on helping with it. He took over from Dr. Siverson, um, but, and this is a direct quote from Israel, he was so overcome with guilt and pain that he had caused to others that he, he left on people and decided to leave the Institute. So he decided to leave for guilt and pain, but if you talk to him and hand him the cure, so his quest is, um, he's a super mutant, he had turned super mutant to escape the Institute, when you go into the Institute, you go to the Bioscience Division, find his cure, bring it back to him, and three days after that, you will you will then become human again. Right. But if you go and talk to him after he becomes human again, he says he's going to continue on his FEV research. And there is a question, it's less of a skill check and more of just a, can you not do this? And he says, no, this is for the betterment of science, even though he left it because it was hurting people. Mm -hmm. It kind of uh, got got me in a weird way. It was like really contradicting of it. Right. So, you, so you're basically saying, to, to, to sum that up, you're basically saying that he didn't learn his lesson. That even, yeah, even going um, through all of that and having to deal with it himself and then being cured of being a super mutant, he still jumped back into his research, regardless of the other damage it may do to other people. Yeah, and there's certain voice lines that I think... So certain companions can talk to him. Um, he will become aggressive with you, not in like a violent way, but like a more passive-aggressive tone if you say that to him. If you have Strong with you, Strong will comment on it. But Strong only has a relation with him as Strong as a super mutant. Mm -hmm. People like X6 don't have comments, but X6 is the one who ordered the kill command on the scientist to Kellogg, which Kellogg didn't even kill. 
Um, it's really, really, like, bad of a character, and I tried to look into see if there was any code content for them. There seems to not be. He seems to be a one-quest sort of character of, oh, you go talk to him, he tells you where a courser is, you go back, he decodes the courser chip and gives you the plans, that's it. Right. I find that there can be plenty of room for growth as a character, especially as an institute scientist. <laughs> and as a personal thing that I like to do with one of the mods that I use, you can recruit him if you are the head of the institute, which I pretty much always become because I'm an institute head. Um, you can recruit him back and help the waste. But like, I feel that's a very, very bad turn in normal game where you can't do that. Mm. You can't convince him to come live with you. You can't convince him to and he just stays out there. And in doing so, he's actually poisoning himself because no human can survive out there. Right, right. Now, what do you think about uh, Fev Dweller uh, posts in chat? He says he says that he's keeping up with his work to cure super mutants. What do you think about the the positive benefit of that side of things? Now, to your to your points, more research could lead into more potential damage to regular humans until he figures out and and really solidifies the cure. Like you don't know what's going to happen. But how do you feel about that side of it? Working on his own, what like how it is portrayed in game mm -hmm. is the more damaging side. If he could come back and work in like the institute in a controlled lab or controlled setting, then maybe it would turn out as kind of like a he's doing it for the betterment. But to me personally, it kind of feels selfish that he's staying away working on it himself. You don't know how he's working on it because in the institute they needed to take in people. That's why they're kidnapping people, take them in and um, experiment on them. That's actually why Sean is taken in the first place to create Gen Three synths and whatnot. Um, it is really, like I said, a character who was like thrown at you and then never talked about again. Yeah, there's not a whole like lot a, of oh, there's the scientists and then nothing. right. Right. Yeah, they could have done more with him for sure. Well, let's open this up to other people. What do you guys think? What do you guys think about Virgil? Uh, Victor? Um, this is interesting as me and Thai were kind of talking about the reverse of this sort of thing earlier. But um, I actually didn't know quite as much into Virgil's uh, story as I was like most characters or most players. I got the plans and then forgot about him. <laughs> right. <laughs> to be yeah. completely honest. But knowing that he, knowing that he's out there and he's researching, uh, okay, fine. And then you get him the opportunity to, you get to the point in the game where you could quite reasonably get him back into a better, clean, clean laboratory with controlled sub subjects and better measurement tools and all of that. And he's claiming that he's out there to, for the betterment of humanity to continue to work on science. Guy's a friggin' false martyr. He's, he's out there hurting himself, knowing that he's doing subpar science and saying, oh, I'm doing this for the betterment of humanity, while he's actually not doing that much help. And this is, you can see it as even, especially after you give him the cure, and then he stays out in the glowing sea, as a form of, like, passive suicidal ideation. He's like, I'm out here. It's going to kill me quicker than human than naturally would. And I'm supposedly working on science. Mm -hmm. I... Mm -hmm. 
knowing that part, especially now, just makes a whole bunch of his self-professed virtues or, you know, ethical beliefs ring really false and hollow. Right. Do you think that he's the kind of person who is so guilt stricken with the things that have gone on that he believes that he deserves death, but he's not willing to kill himself? And so he's just putting himself in a situation where he will die sooner than later. I do, but uh, I think the bigger part there to realize is, yes, he's definitely doing this, and he might even recognize that he's specifically doing this. But him trying to hold that moral high ground of doing it for the betterment of science, doing it for the betterment of humanity, it falls flat when you actually look at it for longer than five seconds. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. And so I can't really hold any of what he's trying to put forth as this is why I'm doing this and it's justified. I, I can't right. I can't look at it seriously at all right. now. Right. Yeah, so you just need to kind of be like, okay, you do your thing, buddy. Move on. Yeah. Anyone else have thoughts on Virgil? I uh, Just to chime in on that, I, th- I think too, like, he, he was very, despite everything, was very pro-Institute in a lot of ways despite, you know, their treatment of him to the point where when you, or if you choose not to side with the Institute and destroy them, he's very upset with you. Um, he still considers, you know, the, the scientists and everybody involved with them to be what he considers innocent. Um, so there's definitely some weird mental gymnastics that he's going through um maybe it's some old school forgotten um fall at perk this mental gymnastics <laughs> mental, gymnast. mental gymnast. yes mental <laughs> gymnast. an intelligence perk right um and he had that one checked off on the box because yeah <laughs> like he has this morality but it's it's entirely hypocritical and confusing and you know it doesn't really make much sense and it, but he definitely seems like like you see people that make that argument for the institute of being the best possible ending for fallout 4 saying the institute can save mankind essentially there right. there is an argument to be made there i think he's that sort of person he's he's the person that sees all the flaws of the institute and says yeah but the ends justify the means mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, Lane, Laney's got some thoughts on this. Um, so I, my first playthrough, I sided with the Institute because of that reason. I was like, hey, if I can put myself in the position to control what is happening here, I can use the science for the better. Right. Which, of course, you don't get actually to get to do that. But that's what I did my first time. Um, and so I feel for him in that way where he he believes in the science, he believes in the work that can be done. Um, but for whatever reason, he isn't. And, you know, thinking about how he you know, I think maybe he, the the morality of what he believes is. Oh no, we lost her. Oh, she's coming back. Get all glitchy internet. The morality of what he believes is, and then you left us hanging. The morality of what he believes is confusing, and it seems like mental gymnastics if you're looking at it from uh taking what he says to be directly about like he wants to help the people he wants to help super mutants but what if if he believes that the vessel he can use to actually help in those ways is the science then whether it's the institute doing the science or whoever else himself in the middle of nowhere if he really believes that like that is what's helping people to him that is the right thing and so maybe it's not as confusing maybe he just is just really thinks that 
that kind of work eventually will lead to something that's helpful. And he's just blindsided by, um, you know, whatever negative things have happened to him and the people around him on the way there. Because he doesn't care. Maybe he thinks that the ends justify the means. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's a it's an interesting dilemma. The whole ends justifying the means thing, you know, in a world where everything's gray, sometimes you just got to go with the least gray option, but it never feels good. You know, it's like voting. Let's not talk about politics. Anyway, <laughs> uh, would you like to wrap this one up? Anything else to say about him? The only thing I'd like to wrap up with is if you kill Virgil, no matter if it's for the railroad or the Brotherhood, you're a terrible person. I don't care what you say. No one <laughs> kills Virgil. He's amazing. Virgil is awesome. Never kill Virgil. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, let's move on to Victor. Victor, I think you're up next. So this is a an interesting one because um, it probably won't surprise many people uh, because I've been somewhat vocal, at least in Fallout 4 specifically, of my dislike of the Brotherhood of steel and so my my character that i love to hate and i hate is one arthur maxson ah. elder of the steel uh-huh. is it because he has a douchebag uh, haircut actually his haircut isn't that bad i'll, I'll admit that I mean, it's a nice haircut it's very stylish. and his jacket's pretty cool it's got a cool jacket but, but no um so overall, it's his fanatical devotion to what overall in the Brotherhood of Steel is a side item. The main purpose of the Brotherhood of Steel throughout the games has been to locate, contain, and protect um, high levels of technology away from the common man. That way we don't get another nuclear holocaust. Right. And that is their primary purpose. That is the primary reason they are out in the ways. But Arthur Maxson is out here in the Commonwealth deciding that anybody who is, is, you know, vaguely non-human is just an animal and doesn't deserve anything. Right. And uh, me and my synth and robot and ghoul friends have have some problems with that. (laughs) Um, I generally prefer people who aren't human in video games in Fallout. Um, <laughs> right. yeah. But there's also this level of hypocrisy to it. He talks about synths as completely unnatural. There's no way that they can feel anything because they're purely created. And going on and on about this. And for a non-combatant synth, um, or even just a reprogrammed synth, so to speak, uh, a good example for this is Magnolia at the Third Rail. If, for whatever reason you do, you kill her, the only thing you find on her that makes her different from any other human is the little tag that says synth component. Mm-hmm. Arthur Maxson is maybe not exactly stuffed to the gills, but he has not exactly uh, abstained from cybernetic enhancements. He has enough cybernetic enhancements to make him, I, I, I think it wouldn't be unfair to say, superhuman. And he is, has more unnatural parts to him in the terms of basically inorganic, so to speak. He has more than that than, you know, your average third-gen ghoul. Or third-gen ghoul. Third-gen synth. Synth, right, right. <laughs> I gotcha. I and gotcha. So that, that, 
that is a point of hypocrisy. And then I, I did mention bringing up Paladin Dance. I absolutely hate how he treats Dance. He takes this man, this man who he has known for decades at this point, who has fought with his heart and soul for what the Brotherhood of Steel means and how it protects the men, the men and women of the race. Mm-hmm. And then just because, oh, yeah, so he was basically test tube born. Instantly, Paladin Dance becomes an it, a that. Right. Not even worth of, worthy of human nomenclature. I can't like somebody who can go from, this is one of the best men that the Brotherhood of Steel has put out, to that thing isn't human so quickly. I, I can't, he didn't even pause to think about it. Yeah. It's a wonderful, anyway, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful example of how powerful our beliefs are over our perceptions. And, and uh, without getting into too political with this, um, this is something that we deal with still this idea that, I don't understand this person who is other than me, and so I'm going to project on them their motivations, uh, all of these assumptions about why they do what they do and who they are and what they believe and, and, and all of these things without ever trying to actually understand them by getting to know them, by, by getting in close with them and getting to know them as a person. Um, and, and that is the big, that is, that is what we as humans do. We, we categorize somebody as other. And as soon as they are other, they are less than human. And therefore we can treat them however we want. And it's, it's a very dangerous side of our psychology. And I think he very clearly represents that, especially with Paladin Dance with somebody who he was so close to. And then at a flip of a switch can go, oh no, I've just been deceived this whole time. You're less than human, even though he's they've worked together. They've saved each other's lives. They've you know done all of these things together. You can just turn just like that. So between the hypocrisy that I feel he represents and overall the treatment of Paladin Dance and what that means for how he views human versus non-human in his own mind, I just... I can't find any redeeming qualities about him. And I will admit that in a very personal way, I I mentioned before about how some of the non-human ghouls, I feel, non-human ghouls, non-human characters, the synths, the ghouls, the robots, in follow even super mutants, represent minority groups, you know, in our own culture. That definitely influences me quite a bit on my opinion of of, of Elder Maxon. In yeah. he hates that, and the way that he hates that is reflected so strongly in our current society that I would be remiss if I did not mention that that is a huge part of it. I, you know, if if I was in Fallout, I would feel like he was hating me, mm-hmm. and I I. I, I have to admit that that definitely is part of it for me personally with Arthur Maxson. Right. Well, well, on the ideological part, there's the ideology, but I, I felt like, you know, Neunemer was going to admit uh, his connection uh, with the colonel. I, I would be remiss if I mentioned, if I didn't mention how personal Maxson feels for me. 
Right. Yeah. And I, I can speak as somebody um, from a different perspective as, you know, where you come from. We have very different lives. We're very different people. Um, but I can tell you that uh, when I saw the Brotherhood come onto the scene, when they flew out, you know, the Predwin or whatever, is that the name of it, flies out. And then you end up on there and you're like, oh, my God, look at all this cool stuff. Oh, the power armor, all the cool stuff. Uh, my first thought was, heck, yeah, finally. I'm going to sign up with the Brotherhood. This is going to be awesome. And then you get further into the that side of it, how prejudiced they are. And immediately I was just like, nope, nope, not signing up with you guys. See you later. <laughs> and it's just like I didn't play that part of the game anymore because I was like, you guys are just off the list. Totally off the list. But for that one reason, it doesn't matter. All the shiny things you can give me. That, that attitude you can get is just off. Out of cats. It'll be fine. Right. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Well, let's open this up. Anybody else have any thoughts on Arthur Maxon? Anything that hasn't been said so far? I, I just have to say something real quick to be the well actually guy for a second. Uh -huh. And also to stick up for the Brotherhood of Steel a little bit. Maxon, it's very much East Coast Brotherhood of Steel. And yes. It's also very much his right. Brotherhood of Steel right. is yeah. what you deal with in, in 4. Because he comes out of the East Coast Brotherhood of Steel that was in Fallout 3, which was a much kinder, friendlier, nicer Brotherhood of Steel. They were trying to help people. They were more open. They had more open ranks. Mm -hmm. You know, all this and that. So, And the fact he's such a disappointing uh character in to me and i mean intentionally disappointing like he's he's a let down uh like generationally because he comes out of that brotherhood of steel which was my favorite version of the brotherhood of steel right. in fact you you meet him as a child in fallout 3 and according to terminal entries uh the the lone wanderer and sarah essentially become surrogate parents to him so i felt very personally offended <laughs> how did um, my kid turn out this I, way the, essentially yeah, yeah. that's kind of how i felt about it because yeah, i kind of my character kind of like in my own personal headcanon in my original playthrough play of fallout 3 i had kind of envisioned it that way because i kind of was like i think i think my character kind of likes sarah i think we we <laughs> might have a thing going on here and and i always had a soft spot for him as being this one kid and he was treated like crap his whole childhood and, you know, so it makes a lot of sense that he may not come out as well adjusted as one might think. But it also implies that, I guess, maybe Sarah had died at some point along the way. Hmm. So perhaps at some point he was on his own. But I still felt that feeling like, no, 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 not not my little Max. And he can't turn out this way, you know. But um, but it is very much his brotherhood of steel which yes. is also in turn not the west coast brotherhood of steel too and i have a cat butt in my face <laughs> yes you have a cat. Right. and i do feel i do hope that i emphasized it quite a bit is even in three and i had issues a few issues with the various brotherhood of steel um up through four but even in three they their focus still was on technology they're the reason to be involved in project purity was technology based mm-hmm and seeing that shift in focus away from the core tenets of the Brotherhood about technology, like, yes, they were there because of the Institute, because of technology. But the, the face that they put forward to the common people of the Wastes was 
this idea of humans versus non-humans and that felt gross obviously yeah no i totally agree i totally agree and it's all about the leadership it's not the it's not the organization because the organization's statutes don't say we are we are against anti-human they say you know gather technology for the betterment of society that kind of thing so cool stuff i think like you wanted to say um yeah go ahead yeah can i chime in so i think it's interesting um between this and like when you tie together his story as a kid in fallout 3 and maybe how it went from there to fallout 4 um and then putting that in comparison to kellogg which we were talking about earlier you see two different stories where you actually, you know, if you're looking for it, you know, Kellogg's is a little more prominent in Fallout 4. But if you if you look for the backstory, you can see two people who grew up in pretty bad circumstances uh, for various reasons and could have gone either way, right? They could have taken that and decided that, oh, they don't want to make anyone else feel like that. They want to do something good in the world. They want to make sure that other people don't experience things like that and done something good with it. Mm-hmm. Or they could have, you know kind of internalized all the ways that they were mistreated and then projected that onto other people as they got older. And we see that with both of them. And I actually have a question uh, uh, for you guys or for the chat, and we don't have to answer it right now, but just to think about, do we see other characters in the games when they're young and then they grow up that don't turn out like that? McCready, right off the bat. Yes. Just just a quick one. But I'm sure there are others. Um, Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, it's interesting to have already two in the same game, kind of, that that got, have gone through the same kind of path. Which, I mean, it's not surprising, though, that happens in real life. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. no, it's a very common thing, for sure. Um, I wanted to say something about uh, Maxon, too. Um, I thought it was really interesting that somebody referenced his haircut, because um, his haircut actually communicates <laughs> That was something. me. That was me. Okay, well, there's uh, this particular haircut that he wears, short on the side, uh-huh. over like this on the front. Right. Um, it's often referred to as a fashy, and that's because it's a callback to uh, what the haircuts that Hitler used used to wear. Yeah. And while not everybody who wears that haircut, it's a popular haircut, sure, uh, especially right now. Not everybody who wears it is a fascist. Obviously, an awful lot of fascists wear that particular haircut. And I think that they were communicating to us that Arthur Maxson is a fascist mm. by choosing yeah. to give him that particular haircut. Yeah, yeah. This is a very common thing in storytelling. You you foreshadow and put character details in the and, you know, the, the way the character looks. Sure. Yeah, and it's it's obvious enough to those who are students of history, so to speak, without being so obvious as putting a toothbrush mustache on him. Yes. Right, that would have been too much because then everyone would have been like, "Why is this Charlie Chaplin the the commander of the Brotherhood?" That was a Charlie Chaplin joke. All right. Well, anything else about Maxon? I feel like we're we're, we're uh, pretty good on this one. My uh, to, to round it out is he bases his hatred out on the wasteland. He tries to justify it with Brotherhood tenants. <laughs> Meanwhile, the reasons I hate him have very little to do with what the actual Brotherhood tenants are and how terrible of a leader and person that he presents himself to the ways. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm there with you. All right. Last of our patrons and newest of our patrons, Sea Captain. Sea Captain, welcome. How's it going? I'm doing well. It's been great to hear everyone's opinions on all these characters. 
Yeah, and sorry to sorry to have to make you wait till the very end, but we we went chronologically oh. through the fallouts, and you have somebody from Fallout seventy six that you're going to discuss, right? Right, and it actually works out really well that Victor was just talking about someone from the Brotherhood of Steel, and with the current release of new playable uh, data in Fallout seventy six, that I'm choosing someone that's from the Brotherhood of Steel, but that has just arrived in Appalachia. So as a preface, I'm not going to be spoiling anything. I'm not going to be diving into any story. Uh, The information I have to share about this person, it doesn't uh, give away anything about the story. But it's like the moment that you see him, you know you're just going to hate him. You just have that feeling that when you see this guy, you're just not going to get along with him. Uh. Um, So if anyone that has played the content... um, that is um, Knight Shin or Knight Daniel Shin that you meet at the front gate, um, essentially, uh, once you walk into Fort Atlas. Does he have a Charlie Chaplin mustache? No, he actually has no facial <laughs> hair, but I got to tell you, those eyebrows, those eyebrows just tell you right away oh, what his eyebrows. personality is. All right. It's definitely the eyebrows. Okay, well, so tell us about you. I'm sure a lot of people haven't played through this, especially people who who've only played four or three or New Vegas, who haven't really jumped into seventy six. And this right. is very, I'm like a very new seventy six diehard. So yeah, yeah, with it being brand new, and I've already played through the content, but um, just uh, you know, with this topic coming up, I was like, I he's he's one of the newest characters to be in the series, but like he can't, I can't ignore him. I can't. It's just, he's right in your face. And if you don't mesh with him or mesh with his style, you just feel it right away. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll just go into what I have about him. So he's been in the brotherhood for a while. He's actually been in the brotherhood for over 20 years. He doesn't look like that old of a guy. So he's Mm. probably been in it since youth. Um, one of the, the uh the scribe that you meet there scribe valdez uh she has terminal entries on all of the people that are currently with you and also previous members that didn't make it through the expedition because this was an expedition force from the west coast that came to appalachia right. uh, to reestablish um their connection with the brotherhood of steel because of uh what happened with taggery's unit um so she has like these little little um, profiles for each person and talks about um, Daniel Shin as being uh, in the Brotherhood for over 20 years. He was actually picked up from the Mojave Wasteland. So a little bit of a nod to those fans of Fallout New Vegas, you know, definitely very early in that sort of timeline. But um, he's from that sort of area. Um, and uh, he was picked up by Knight Connors. Alan Connors, I think, is the official name of that knight. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Knight Connors just saw uh, potential in him, saw how dedicated he was to the Brotherhood of Steel. Um, and even uh, in this, um, this synopsis about him, uh, the scribe says that uh, Knight Shin himself has uh, gotten direct praise from the council of elders and even elder roger maxon himself so he's not someone that isn't known of anyone in the brotherhood of steel would pot at this time would know about knight shin um and with the appalachian um team that's there he's actually second in command under paladin romani but uh yeah he just um i also i took some voice lines 
just uh, idle lines and also just some of the things that like he just says and the way that he delivers his lines. It's very much that, you know, he is a diehard believer of all of the tenets of the Brotherhood of Steel. Um, you know, he's very much this is the way of the Brotherhood of Steel. He does not <laughs> differ on any sort of belief yeah. whatsoever. Right. This um, is the way. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, some of the things, yeah, we, uh, some of the things you can ask him or a line that you can ask him says, what is the Brotherhood's mission? And his exact response is to procure and preserve dangerous technologies from before the war and defend humanity from itself. Since the world went to pieces, anyone and everyone has been using what they can to find in the wasteland in their own ends unrestricted. If things continue like this, humanity will never make it. So he's just very much like this is there is no other way. This is the way that has to be done. And the the belief of the Western Brotherhood of Steel is just what he wants to follow. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can even ask him about uh, Fort Defiance or if you mention it. Um, he was like, yep, that lines with uh, I've been to Fort Defiance. The Brotherhood there was wiped out by Scorch. He says that lines up with our discovery so far. Truly an abominable threat the scorched next line i will refrain from asking why you are snooping around the brotherhood facility i will warn you not to do it again and i'm guessing this is probably before you become an initiate he's just like before you're even in the brotherhood he's questioning why you've been snooping around and searching all these brotherhood locations you know he feels that anyone that's uh, not part of the brotherhood is not deserving of being part of their community right um it's very yeah, closed off it's, just, a, it's uh, very it's very you know like even i haven't played through this stuff yet so this is all very new right. to me but th that idea of like mm -hmm. you know like you're not in the brotherhood therefore you're out what are you doing i'm suspicious you know now you may have mm -hmm. cause to believe that but yeah i, I can see that being off-putting mm-hmm yeah, uh, he's, yeah, just uh, the lines that he has packed in, um, miscell miscellaneous hellos that he has. Uh, reminder, this is the armory, not the barracks. Take your conversations outside. Uh, or for your sake, I hope this is a scheduled visit, Initiate. You know, he's very much by the book, follow the code, every single line. He never goes out of, um, he never yeah. follows... Um, he never very military fall, falls away from protocol. Right. Yes. Very, very, very much straight. Very following, having a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. There, there's um there's a line that I kind of took out of um my groupings that I had, but one of them was um him explaining his backstory a little bit to the to the uh, player, and he said, "I've been with the Brotherhood for over twenty years. I the the life before that I find irrelevant." So he only identifies himself with the Brotherhood of Steel. He is such a diehard follower. Um, and, you know, for anyone that is coming out of the, you know, the vault as a player, we've been running around Appalachia for two years. We've been trying to take care of the Scorched ourselves, And then he comes and sees us as just this casual player or this casual person walking up, no matter who you are, because you can come up to him, I think, the quest line unlocks at level 20. So you can be a very new character. 
yeah. and be joined into the brotherhood. But you can also be level 200, full suit of power armor, and he doesn't care who you are. He's just like, nope, I don't <laughs> care what you did before this. You're not part of our team. Yeah, yeah. I get you. I get you. Nunamur, do you have a different opinion of Shin? You're posting something in the in the chat there. Do you want to jump in? I, I mean, I said I like him, but um, is I don't hate him. Um, I I think I kind of get I get his point of view. Um, I, I it's it's almost like he's such a diehard Brotherhood of Steel member. He believes so much in the cause that he doesn't, he's sort of purposefully, like a lot of soldiers, even modern day current soldiers in, in the American military and militaries around the world are encouraged to do. They give up a lot of their individuality and they consider themselves part of right. a culture, part of a group, part of a family. Right, right. And uh, the Brotherhood of Steel is called the Brotherhood. And so I think his arrogance is the arrogance comes not from his his personal um, reliance on himself, rather, but his arrogance comes from his his respect and pride over the Brotherhood of Steel as a whole. So when he looks down on us as no matter what, we're with all of our accomplishments, if we're a level 1000 player that's, you know, been playing all this time with everything, we don't compare to what the Brotherhood of Steel has done nationwide up to this point. What they've been able to survive and accomplish, the battles they've already fought, establishing of, you know, the early days of survival. So I think he's sort of, even though he had nothing to do with that, he still carries that pride with him and puts that pride sort of onto you. And I've had friends like that before. I've had military friends. I've had, you know, friends that just culturally, that's sort of where they were, you know, and, and very stern and very cold. And it's not my way and it's very foreign to me, but I just, I guess like it didn't rub me the wrong way when I came across him because I just kind of, I kind of just was like, yeah, he's, he's a true believer. Yeah. Yeah. It's the weight of the institute in the, in the institution of the brotherhood versus you as an individual, not an individual versus you as an individual. It's that kind of thing. All right. Any other thoughts on this? Yeah. To, um, Captain, uh, just to go off of uh, what Nunemer said, um, you know, he uh, one of his lines there, you'll hear him talk about it as you progress to the story. He kept he keeps referencing uh, the chain that binds, which is very much um, a tenant of the Brotherhood Code. Um, one of his lines, I am a link in the chain that binds. And that is what keeps this order together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being part of the whole. All right. Anyone else have any thoughts on Shin? So I got nothing against him. Yeah. Nothing against him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, sometimes personalities just rub you the wrong way. Sometimes that's just the way it works. Laney, you had somebody that you wanted to bring up. Is there, you want to take a minute and, and dive into this? Yeah, I can go through it pretty fast. <laughs> sure. It's pretty simple. So in Fallout 3, um, you have Little Lamplight, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with. It's a... Uh, just a bunch of kids living together. Just and once you're 16, kids. you're out. You got to go. And so uh, our good pal, Sticky, uh, his nickname is Sticky. It's not his actual name. His nickname is Sticky. 
because of an, a, mis- a mysterious incident that he, if you ask him about it, he just tells you to use his imagina- your imagination. So there's that. Um, so there's Sticky. <laughs> and not only is he named Sticky, but he's obnoxious. And you are, you are given the quest. It's called um, Happy Birthday to You, but there's also uh, somewhere else in the game you can see a reference to the quest called... Oh, what is it? Um, oh, it has another name. Hang on. Oh, a sticky situation. Ah. Uh, so yeah, so it has technically two names. And you have to take good old Sticky, because he's 16 now, from Little Lamplight to uh, where, where the adults go. What is it called? Big something? Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember the name either. Um, but yeah, the, the big, big town. town. Big town. I found it. It's Big Town. But yeah, so you have to take him from Little Lamplight to Big Town, where, you know, the kids grow up and go. And uh, he promises you money if you ask him for it, and you must take him with you. You can equip him with armor and uh, weapon or any stuff like that. He becomes a temporary companion, basically, and it, which is nice, except he tells you just the most obnoxious, like, made-up, like, fantastical little kid stories, and, like, they're not even funny. They're just bad. And he talks like a 10 year old, but he's 16 and he lies and he says that he's 18, even though there's no way he's 18. It doesn't it, like he cannot be 18. So it's just he's just obnoxious. And then you take him to, to Big Town and he doesn't even pay you. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you do the whole quest and then you don't get anything for it. It's awful. That's great. So anyway, don't That's recommend. So, Sticky's man, just annoying. <laughs> it's been so long since I've played uh, Fallout 3, but now it, you're bringing back memories. Um, That's funny. That's <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys remember this one? Nunimer's nodding his head. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually remember this one from um, watching the like uh, overview video of L- Little Lamplight and kind of giving the whole story ending with sticky situation and yeah like most of the kids in little lamplight are about 12 mm-hmm. like i think mccready's about 12 um at that time and so like the attitudes of completely arrogant but still kitty talk right fits. and it feels like sticky really doesn't want to leave little lamplight or at least like mentally he shouldn't leave a little lamplight but he's just too big bodied and from what I watched of trying to get him to Big Town, it's it's a babysitting quest. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. That's great <laughs> and terrible all at the same time. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not good. To make gamers upset if you have a babysitting quest. Right. Um, but yeah, I definitely remember noting that he felt way younger than sixteen mentally. Yeah, he looks essentially grown. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lainey's dipping out on us again. Oh, internet. She's coming back. I only disappear when I'm talking. I don't understand. Yeah, you only disappear (laughs) when you're talking. But yeah, he looks like he's grown, Um, but he's definitely (laughs) mentally not grown. Um, but hello. Yeah, he's just obnoxious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a fun one to end with. Thanks for that one. And... Thank you to all of you guys for being here. This was super fun as usual. And I'm sorry that we don't have more time for each of you to go in even more depth, but um, maybe we'll have to set up some, uh, you know, special guests on some future episodes to talk about some of this stuff. That could be a fun way to do it too. So let's go back through it. 
as with all of us, you can reach us all on the Robots Radio Discord. You can always jump into the Fallout Lorecast channel or any of the Fallout channels and talk with us on there. Many of us are playing Fallout 76 regularly with other people, whether you're on PC or Xbox or PlayStation. And so if you're looking for other people to play with, just check that out. You might find some people. And Lainey's been streaming it a lot lately, and I plan to do some more streaming this week. So that's going to be there for you guys to check out as well. Friends, let's go back through everybody. If there's any other way that you'd like people to get a hold of you or other projects you want to kind of shout out that you're working on, um, how can people learn about these things? Let's start with Sea Captain. Sea Captain, any other things going on? No. Uh, you know, uh, buy the shirt that I designed. It looks great. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, see, Captain, we talked about this in, on a recent episode. In the episode. robot store. Yeah, it's on the robot store. The um, uh, the spicy bath shirt. Yeah, go check that out. See, Captain designed yeah. it. Uh, yes, very, very cool. Yeah, but otherwise, um, I'll just be on uh, Discord or uh, Xbox. Cool. Yeah, awesome. Deadshot? Nothing? Nothing else going nah, on? I got nothing. You got nothing. All right. <laughs> Firewriter? So once upon a time, I used to commute to work and I always asked, what would I do if I had those hours back? What would I do if I had those two to four hours back? And it turns out the answer is turn into a Twitch streamer and launch a podcast. And I don't That's think what you I would have seen that coming yeah. <laughs> a year ago. I've been very, very, very busy. So you can find me on Twitter and on Twitch. And yes, I'm starting a new podcast, too. And the first episode of that is out and we're just rocking along. Yeah, and you're fire writer on both Twitch and Twitter, everywhere. correct? Yeah, everywhere. And then <laughs> the podcast is the Pixel People. The Pixel People. And that has its own Twitter too, and it's on Anchor and Spotify and Apple and wherever. Yeah, and I will be on a episode of that coming up. I'll be on the second episode, and we we talk about The Witcher and Siri in The Witcher, and then we get a little bit political. So if you want to hear any of that stuff, you're welcome to listen to me on that too. Um, <laughs> Oh, we go we go everywhere uh but yeah if if you're into that sort of thing go listen to it and um also the pixel people and firewriter are our first of our rocket club the robots radio rocket club and these are new podcasts that i am working with directly to help you guys out and firewriter we had our first meeting this last week it was awesome i, th- I think it was awesome what, do you, what did you think i won't speak for you I felt like I got a lot out of it and brought up a lot of things that I hadn't thought about and very helpful. Awesome. I've already incorporated most of the things we've talked about. So very cool. Very, very cool. So if you want to be part of that as well, if you have a new show and you want some guidance on that, then check out robotsradio.net, click on the rocket club and you can be part of our little group. We'll be getting together weekly and, and chatting about things to improve your shows and get you started and all that kind of stuff. All right, let's go to Grim Saber. Grim Saber, you got anything going on? Um, I just came back to Twitch uh, yesterday. <laughs> it's been a while. I've been mostly drained or energized, de-energized, I should be saying, mm. from babysitting a two-year-old. <laughs> well, that'll do it. Um, that'll do it, yeah. Yeah, that will do it. Yeah, um, I am on Twitch, Saber1431. Uh, there you can find the link to my Twitter, uh, which I'm starting to ask uh, a question a day themed question today on my twitter so cool yeah that's a fun that's always a fun thing to get people's opinions on things because everyone always wants to share their opinions you know mm-hmm. yep yep awesome and then nunamur nunamur 
Anything else going on? Uh, just uh, people can um, come follow me on Twitter, which um, I probably spend a little bit too much time on, but people can <laughs> find me there most of the time. Wish I actually spent more time on Discord. Got to fix that. And still have yet to break my streak of not streaming. So if in the next week or two you catch me streaming, please come by and support me and <laughs> encourage me to continue. I kind of want to do it as kind of also a mental health um, exercise because I suffer from social anxiety and I, um, I'm actually a very social person. I have high functioning social anxiety. So I want, uh, to try to develop some sort of schedule besides wanting to getting in, into Twitch streaming in general, sort of as a mental health, like self care thing of forcing me to sort of step outside of my comfort zone. Cause once I'm streaming, I'm happy, but it's the matter yeah. of hitting that button and, and right. doing it, you know? So, uh, so if you uh, want to talk about mental health or fallout or anything, come by and uh, check out one of my streams. Yeah. Very cool. Well, good luck with that. That's awesome. And then Victor, Victor, you got anything else going on or ways people can reach out to you? Um, not, not exactly anything else going on. However, if you want to talk about uh, more than just Fallout, all you have to do is breathe the word history into the Robots Radio Discord, <laughs> and I'll be there with like a three paragraph essay. <laughs> We're gonna have a bunch of college kids who are who are trying to do reports for the uh, finishing of of this semester. Oh, who are gonna be Bibles. like, be like, uh, Victor, what do you know about the Spanish American War? Hmm? And you're gonna be like, mm, here's a here's a thesis for you. Here's an entire thesis paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Victor. But genuinely, but genuinely, history plays a lot into a lot of different video games. And so it's genuinely an interest of mine. It's something that I am trying to work towards making into something. But Yeah, you totally should. You, you know so much about so many things. You could be you could be creating some really cool stuff. I, I hope you uh Yeah, I just got the tools. Yeah, yeah. You'll get there. You'll get there. Um, but if you want to engage with that kind of conversation please go ahead and ping me on the Robots Radio Discord. I think the most esoteric I've ever done was a short history of the men's smoking jacket. Which That's amazing. Which was actually entertaining. That's amazing. I had a conversation so. about the history of mariachi pants with some um, co-workers where I just brought it up one day. I was just like, so what was that? I said, that sounds like really fun. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like, the only time you ever see pants with buttons down the sides are like all the way down the sides are mariachi pants, at least modern day pants. And so there must be a history to that. Right. So it got me questioning. So I was one day I walked into work and I was like, what's with mariachi pants? And people were like, what? And they're like, Tom's doing his yeah. thing again. And I was like, seriously, why are they so different than every other type of pants? There's got to be a history to it. There has to be a reason. You know, there's 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 an evolution of fashion. There's got to be a reason for it. it turns out it's it, they were influenced by military garb from like 200 years ago or something. Say, yeah. I was going to say it's probably due to the Spanish-American War uh, influence. Yeah it's, yeah, it's actually tied back um, to military but, stuff. Yeah. But yeah, Victor with a K on the discord. I am very easy to talk to, or at least I like to think the seat, so. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Lainey, what do you have going on? You've been streaming and stuff. Anything you want to talk about? Um, I mean, I finally got 76 working properly, so I've been streaming a lot of 76 the last couple of days. I finally saw my first cryptids in the game. Yeah. I actually saw four or five within two days. 
it was just, nuts. They're just raining cryptids. Cool. It's hallelujah. Yeah. It's raining they cryptids. They knew they were like, oh, Laney's here. <laughs> it's cryptid time. It's so, yeah, I saw, time. I saw a Flatwoods monster, a Snallygaster, or two Snallygasters, a Grafton monster, and a the Wise Mothman. And uh, the Flatwoods monster, I didn't get to fight. The rest of them, other than the Wise Mothman, I got to fight. The Flatwoods monster, I saw it. For like a split second. Had I not noticed it, I would have never seen it because it immediately teleported away. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. They're tricky like that That sometimes. was the first one I saw. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah, well, go check out Laney's stream, Neos Pandora. Yeah, I got really Twitch. excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I, bet. I also wanted to say uh, <laughs> to uh, new, No More, and then I said that's so weird. I'm so sorry. New number? And then just anyone else who is like trying to stream wanting to stream i mean i started streaming what a month ago now and i love it and as someone else who like has social anxiety and i struggle a lot with like dissociation like depersonalization or, or derealization where like it's it takes a lot for me to become very present and streaming almost every day has really helped and so for anyone who like that seems too daunting but they think it could help just give it a shot you know the worst that happens is it doesn't n nothing honestly the worst that happens is Nobody watches, in which case, if you have social anxiety, oh, darn, nobody's there. Oh, darn. And I still <laughs> oh, got no. to play a video game. Oh, crap. It's just, yes. <laughs> what happens is you play a video game that you're probably yeah. going to play anyway. So, right. You know. Right. I think it's so worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck with any everybody dealing with mental things. I think we all have something we're dealing with. So good luck to all of you. It's, you know, things have been rough, but, you know, if you're looking for other people who understand... I think you found the right place. <laughs> Come talk to us. We know what it's like. All right, guys. This has been another awesome episode. Thank you again for joining us. And until next time, I don't know, do something that you think is hard, but that you think you should do because it'll make you a better person. There you go. And don't be don't be an evil douchebag like some of the people we've talked about. Not everybody we've talked about were evil douchebags, but some of them were. Don't do that. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. See ya. To plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. Also, look up the Robots Radio YouTube for videos about Fallout and other things. And check us out on Twitter, twitter.com slash robotsradio. This podcast was brought to you in part by our patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast, including our tier five patrons, Firewriter and Azen. Thank you so very much for your support. to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. All right, guys. Good times. Thanks, everybody. Yay. Yay. I felt like, like somebody had to step up to the weird, weird going, saying goodbye thing that Aperture does. He has to sleep tonight. <laughs> 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 yeah man oh no aperture again i know he's he's busy huh yes. yeah, yeah he's, he's out in the pick up he's yeah. near flatwoods actually oh maybe he's oh. seeing some monsters out there spooky yeah seeing some eyes in the floating in the black <laughs>
floating in the black. Let me Way too long since I've sat down and had a conversation with Aperture. I feel like if we were to have one, it would be a lot of Fallout and not a lot of anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish he didn't get. I don't know. I feel bad for him sometimes because he seems like he ends up in these like really crappy situations a lot with this trucking stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly just like a lot of BS with um, what you call it, uh, uh, dispatch. Oh, not candy the bars. What you call it? What you call it? Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> Good one, Tom. Good joke. The jingle is stuck in my head now, so you must have done something. <laughs> Yeah, but dispatch and then just like the nature of his job means he's kind of isolated. So um, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, he does he does his best. He, I know he uh, he does care. It's just like he has oh, yeah. his job takes even more time than any of us. Oh, totally, totally. Sure. Chat, thank you for being here. Um, we're I'm gonna head out and uh, you uh, patrons, you guys, you guys are welcome to stay in chat and do whatever. And lady, thanks for joining yeah. us again. And thank you to all of our chat. Thank you to Fire! Oh, look at that! Oh, you got a button of it! Very it's cool. so cute! Yay! Nice! That's awesome. And Fire, thank you for thank you for gifting all the subs. Thank you to our new followers. If you uh, if you're checking out the channel for the first time and you want to come back for more pay, you know more patron chats, more Fallout lorecasts, also and game streams and stuff, make sure you follow the channel and come back and turn on notifications because you never know when I'll be playing some games during the day. All right, guys. Well, I'll see you around. Have a good Bye, Tom. Thank have a good you. Month. It'll be after it'll be like after Christmas next time we all get together for for an episode. So have a good Christmas yeah. or vacations or whatever's going on, whatever things you celebrate. All right, Merry guys. Christmas, happy blessed Yule. Yep. Yep. <laughs> all, that good all the things. All right. See you guys later. Bye bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.